0: Matthew shows us Jesus spoke about this final judgment a lot. But what I wonder this morning is how do you think it is going to look? Uh, Imagine for a moment you're there. Imagine for a moment you're there on that day when it finally happens, this great separation. How do you picture it in your mind? Just give you a moment to find a picture that you have for that day. Well, um, I wonder what you pictured. Is it going to be like a giant examination? A huge exam hall, the biggest you can imagine, with desks stretching out forever and ever. And as you come in, you're seated and you're given a paper, uh, an examination paper. Uh, Maybe it's mostly theological questions, but hopefully multiple choice, so we'll be okay. And then there's this terrible long silence before all the papers are handed to the front, or maybe you pictured it more like a courtroom with a a, a queue of defendants waiting to take the stand, stretching out into the distance, and a mighty judge standing there, maybe a, a big pair of scales to weigh up people's good and bad. Or maybe you picture that last day like a giant battlefield. Maybe you imagine war waged from heaven onto the earth, uh, as the Lord and his angelic army return. They meet out justice as victorious conquerors, destroying all in their path. Well, or maybe you walked in this morning and this whole thing's just a fairy tale to you. You're, you're picturing something quite different. You're picturing your systems shut down and you return to being an arbitrary collection of molecules with some leftover energy here and there. Well, Jesus pulls the curtain back for us Today, in this morning's passage, he gives us a glimpse into what is to come. And if you would claim Jesus as your Lord here this morning, you must listen to what he has to say about how this is going to play out. Uh, If you prefer to think of him as perhaps just some ancient wise teacher, then listen to what he has to say here and wonder how does that connect with the idea of Jesus as somebody who just gives us some good ways to live and some ideas for that. See if his words Leave that option open to you. So we're going to read together now from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25. And if you're using one of our church Bibles, then this is on page 995, uh, Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to begin at verse 31. Page 995, uh, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and then the king will say to those on his right, come. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, these are strong words indeed and they are your words, so please would we hear them and not ignore them. Please would your spirit be at work through your word to change our hearts and lives this morning for Jesus' sake, amen. Just to give you a little context, this is the conclusion of Jesus' final teaching section in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, The next thing that happens is the plot to kill Jesus gathers steam, it unfolds leading him to the cross. Uh, Why does that matter? Well this isn't some minor backwater in Jesus' teaching. This isn't some aside that sits in a corner. This is deliberately placed as his concluding statement. Uh, The last two chapters that we've been working through have seen Jesus enlightening his followers about what's ahead And, and so as a result of that, how it is they should live. This is his final statement on the matter. And it is a change of tone from what's gone before. There's no more of these, the kingdom of heaven is like kind of things. Helping us grasp aspects of the kingdom through a parable. Notice how this section starts. When. When the son of man comes in his glory. This is no parable, this is a prophecy. And the scene he sets before us, frankly, is not one that sits easily with us. Jesus here appears to say the final division between the righteous and the unrighteous is going to be made on the basis of what we've done. On the basis of our works, on the basis of simple, practical actions we've taken or we haven't taken. The ways we've treated other people. And actually, this isn't the first time in Matthew's gospel we've seen a statement like this. Matthew 16:27. for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, that's sounding familiar, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, this is, well, this is probably going to have you scratching your head a bit mean, isn't there a Jesus died for my sins so I don't have to kind of get out of jail free card that we get to play at this point? One that Jesus rather conspicuously seems to have left out of his words here. Are you sure that's how it's going to work? Isn't there this whole grace thing, this whole faith thing? You know, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, right? I mean, it's 500 years since the Reformation. We could even say it in Latin. We're pretty confident. So what do we do with a passage like this? For starters, we need to listen up and pay attention because this is our our Lord and our Master speaking to us here. He's concluding his teaching on how things are going to end, and it would be a dangerous move indeed to think that we know more about how things are gonna work than Jesus does. And this is the picture he's chosen to give us. And from this passage it seems unavoidable that how we've acted in this life is gonna signpost our future at that last judgment. Uh, The path we've taken in this life practically, the things we've chosen to do and not to do, the things we carry on choosing to do and not to do as we go forward from here today, they're gonna mark out where our journey ultimately leads. But don't panic because we do have one Lord who speaks with one voice throughout the whole of his Bible, it is a coherent whole, it's not full of conflicting ideas. So we're gonna try and put this together, so hang in with me. How do we reconcile this idea of judgment according to works with our confident and sure belief in salvation by faith? By grace. Well, I think the answer is fairly straightforward, thankfully, and it's, it's spelled out for us in the book of James if you want some reading for this afternoon. Uh, James even picks up on uh, a very familiar theme of practical care. This is James chapter 2 and verse 15. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Definitely sounds familiar. Well, James says, if one of you goes to them and says, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. How good is it? He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I think James is probably reflecting on these very words of Jesus here, helping us understand how our saving faith is knitted together with this practical action. Here's how James concludes, he says, faith without deeds is dead. That's pretty black and white. Jesus isn't picturing for us a judgment here based on what we said or based on what we thought or based on what we hope to believe. Jesus pictures a judgment based on what we did and James is helping us understand why. Because if we really believe, we will do these things. Our actions show what it is we really believe. They don't show what we claim to believe uh, or what we'd like to believe. Our actions show what we really believe. They show us and they show the people around us. Now I guess that means there is a question we should be asking ourselves this morning. Well, what do our actions show? Do they show our faith to be a living one or a dead one? See discipleship, discipleship is the business of following Jesus, it's not just a matter of knowledge, it's not just intellectual assent to some propositions about facts. Jesus is very clear that discipleship, real discipleship is actually a matter of obedience. Now remember the Great Commission, remember Jesus' standing orders to his followers about how they should live. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and disobedience, now this is not the cause of our salvation but it is the inevitable consequence. Here's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved, uh, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, so no one can boast. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, a gift of God, not by works. That's really clear, isn't it? then listen to the very next verse. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Saved by grace, saved to do good works. The truth of our faith, it seems, is tested by our lives. Think about John 15, Jesus' picture um, of the vine and the branches, he says, if you remain in me, he says, you will bear much fruit. Inevitable results. Or Jesus in Matthew 7, he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Talking about believers, he says, every good tree bears good fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Good trees cannot help bearing bad fruit. It is the inevitable result. The saved heart, the saved heart must show itself invariably in works. So I think that's how we reconcile faith and works. I think it's how we reconcile what Jesus is speaking here about the actions and the deeds and how significant they are in evidencing the heart and the faith. So let's come back to the picture Jesus gives us here of the final judgment. He says the deciding factor is how we respond to Jesus. And he says we'll be able to see that played out in how we respond to others, how we treat them, how we treat them when they're in need. That's the basis, right, on which the sheep are separated from the goats. And the specific acts that come up here, food, drink, shelter, clothing, Comfort in sickness and company in prison, these, these all make pretty straightforward sense to us still as ways to show love to others in need. I guess particularly once you understand that in those days when you were in prison, you needed people to feed you because they didn't. But notice here, it's not just any old good deeds that Jesus is calling attention to in his judgment. It's not just random acts of kindness and beneficence. The actions on which people are judged aren't significant in the abstract. Jesus doesn't say, and whenever you fed anyone at all who was hungry, here's your welcome into the kingdom. It is good deeds with a particular target here. And that particular target is himself. See verse 35, I was hungry. I was thirsty, I was a stranger. I was ill. I was in prison. The acts are significant in every single case because their object is Jesus. How they've responded to Jesus is the key signpost for where they are headed, not just their general kind of goodometer. But then see their surprise in verse 37. Oh, Lord, when? They ask. Well, when did this ever happen, right? When did we ever do any of these things? And Jesus' explanation is simple as it is profound. Verse 40, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is saying here that he radically identifies with his people. And that's not the first time we've seen that in Matthew's gospel either. Uh, Anyone who welcomes you, he said, welcomes me. In Matthew 10.40 or Matthew 18.5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Or if you know your Bible, maybe you'll think about Saul's dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road that day. Do you remember Jesus' words to them? Saul, Saul, he said, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. I am Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. But of course, Saul was busy persecuting the church. He's not at all grasped the extent to which Jesus identifies with his people. So when they've fed or watered or sheltered or clothed or helped or visited brothers and sisters from Jesus' church, these sheep assembled before the throne have actually acted out love to Jesus. They've acted out the love that naturally flows from grasping what Jesus has already acted out towards us. Jesus calls believers his brothers and sisters repeatedly. And here he tells us that serving them is just like serving him. Uh, It it is serving him. So here's a thought experiment for you. Well, imagine the person next to you was Jesus. Just have a little look at them and squint, just to check. Imagine the person next to you actually was Jesus, right there, sat next to you imagine he's here in church on Sunday and imagine in some way they're in need. Now, would you want to help? If Jesus sat down next to you desperate for a drink, would you want to help? Of course you would. Of course you would. Then we have to ask ourselves, given what Jesus is saying here, how can we possibly look at the needs of any of our brothers and sisters, not just in this building, but any of our brothers and sisters in the whole of Jesus' church and overlook their needs? Since they are in a very real way, the needs of Jesus are oh, what an invitation, right? What an opportunity to do something absolutely extraordinary. You can serve Jesus one question for you here, uh, do you think those sheep assembled before the throne on that last day, do you think they expected that response from Jesus? Thinking back, when they actually did these things, when they acted out these love and kindness acts, do you think they were just pursuing the response from Jesus on that last day, at least even partially? You know, imagine one day Joe Christian sees Jim Christian on the way home from church, and he thinks Jim looks hungry. He can hear Jim's stomach. Jim is hungry. Hmm, he says, if I feed Jim, that's like feeding Jesus. And Jesus is really gonna like that. Do do you think that's how these acts actually happened? Do you think it was kind of a box ticking exercise along the way? I don't think that's how it sounds. If you read verse 37, it's really hard not to read that with an element of surprise. It's really hard not to read that with a bit of a, when? When did this happen? If their aim all along had been to get a gold star from Jesus at the last judgment, I think you'd see them nodding instead and going, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. They're surprised the acts were significant. I guess that's completely understandable because these are just Small things done for small people. Small things like you're know, feeding and giving drink to and clothing, visiting. The list could have been things like, you know, you divided the entirety of your belongings with me." Right? It could have been things like, you saw my sickness and decided to study medicine, devoted yourself and your entire life to discovering the precise mechanism so you could make me well again. It could have been, you saw me in prison and so you said you would take my place so I could go free. It could have been huge things like that. But actually they're just small things, food, drink, care, welcome and they're done for small people too. I look at verse 40. It's not just brothers and sisters of mine, it's the least of these brothers and sisters. It's not how we treat key people, visiting speakers who have a national reputation. It's about how we treat the least important, the easiest overlooked. I don't know who that'd be for you, but I guess the point is that it could be anyone. Could it even be people we don't know are Jesus' brothers and sisters? In fact, thinking about it, when it comes to welcoming strangers, how could we know which strangers are Jesus's brothers and sisters? I and mean, The point of it is, they're strange. We don't know them. We don't have any real way to figure out if they are, in fact, Jesus. So I guess we have to think more broadly about how we can pursue this, but small things still for small people as I've been thinking about this chapter this week I think there are different ways we can respond to this Uh, one way is we can be anxious we can be anxious as to whether we measure up to this standard or not another way we can read this is we can resist it we can say no 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 salvation is about salvation by grace through faith alone nothing else we can resist this idea of action We can say Christianity is not about performance or rule keeping or goody-goodiness. I think there's another way we can respond as well. We can respond by feeling encouraged. Jesus is not saying at the last judgment it is going to be the occasional superstar who gets to be a sheep. That's not what he's saying. He's not looking for the odd one or two with the extravagant, enormous act. They're not the only ones with real saving faith, truly worked out in their lives. It's not just the the martyrs and the missionaries who Jesus calls sheep and welcomes into the kingdom here. It's those who have done relatively ordinary things for relatively ordinary looking people. He's not setting an impossible bar before us here. Ordinary Christian life. But we do have to think about the goats for a minute here this morning. Isn't it scary that a mission can be just as significant as commission? There's no kind of you did terrible thing X spoken over the goats, right? Just a list of omissions, apparently small omissions, right? You failed to feed. You failed to shelter or visit. Can you hear the goats already shouting back? But look here, I never really did anything bad. Think about how they respond when Jesus tells them of their omission. Verse uh, 44, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? They're like, well, but Jesus, if only we'd known it was you, uh, we would have acted like totally differently. So unfair of you to go in disguise. Why is it that Jesus is hidden here? Why does he make it so hard to pass this test? If only I'd known the beggar I walked past was Jesus, well, I would have done something. Why? I think it is because this is not about passing a test. This is not about ticking enough boxes that you get to come through unscathed. This is not about picking the key moments in which we need to perform and delivering why? Because that's not the root of the final judgment. Ultimately, the final judgment is based on the heart, whether our heart has been transformed or not. That's the root. Out of this root grow these leaves of expression. But imagine, imagine trying to make a living, growing tree. Imagine trying to make that by going down to B&Q and buying a bunch of two before nailing it together and then printing out some leaves and stapling them on. Have you made a living tree? That's what it's like, trying to put together enough good deeds to pass this test to be judged as sheep and not to go on the last day. I never really did anything bad. Well, that's not going to get anywhere with Jesus because Jesus is no fool. He looks at the heart how we have responded to Jesus in our hearts will invariably work its way out into how we respond to the world around us. I'm not in pursuit of this reward of heaven, not to earn our access, but because it is our nature, it's our, our new, our renewed nature. One, let's be honest, every single Christian needs to grow into more still. I think we can see some pointers to that here in the passage. I wonder if you noticed how Jesus described the destination for these worthy sheep in verse 34. He says this, he says, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. Their destination is a kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Since the creation of the world, the the destination This destination has been prepared in advance for each person, for each individual. It's not a surprise then, as the sheep and the goats are divided, who turns out to be on each side. This is not a last minute thing. The kingdom has been prepared in advance for each of the sheep. Think of Jesus in John 14. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and take you to be with me that you will also be where I am. It's not just a possibility. It's not a maybe, maybe thing. This is not like a a lottery ticket with a ticket with a possibility of winning. It's a sure and certain future. And that's what we're seeing here too, a kingdom prepared since the creation of the world. That's the future into which these sheep are heading. Not uncertain until the final moment. Not could go either way not an open question, not totting up points and seeing if the total's high enough to cross the line. The destination has been prepared. And we can't finish with me not pointing out how black and white this picture is. There is no middle ground at all in the picture Jesus paints here. There's no place for those who occasionally serve those in need and occasionally walk on by. They're just sheep and goats. There's no no half-breed category in the middle. Of course, that makes sense, because what Jesus is really doing is judging on the heart. Changed, not changed. There's no in-between. Faith invariably produces good works like we saw earlier. The steps we take each day of our life's journey, the steps we take show us where that journey is leading. Uh, When we find ourselves saying no to the hungry, right? No to the thirsty, the naked, the stranger. When we close our heart to them, when we find ourselves turning away from the sick, turning away from those in prison, then we should be wondering, do I really have a changed heart? Am I really a new person? Has something really happened to me? A terrible destination lies ahead of those goats. That's what Jesus says here. Are you concerned that might be yours? Do your actions point that way? Now is the time to do something about it. Now is the time, While well, there is still time to act and to change, to choose and to decide. Uh, J.C. Ryle, one of the old commentators, says this. He says, to be condemned in the day of judgment by anyone would be awful. But to be condemned by him who would have saved them that will be awful indeed. Jesus wants to change your heart. And so change your life. Uh, He wants you to be blessed and to be welcomed into a kingdom that's been prepared for you. Uh, He stands today with his hand outstretched, beckoning you to come, but it won't always be that way. The day will come when the one who would today save you will only condemn The steps we take each day show us where our journey is leading. The path we're walking signposts our destination, so what does your path say to you? Let's pray. (coughs) Jesus, we acknowledge you as Lord. And God, as we hear your words, oh Lord, they're words that challenge us, uh, that challenge our thinking and our assumptions, that challenge our actions and our deeds, ultimately that challenge our hearts. And That I think is what you've intended Lord, please might we consider ourselves and the way we live day to day, now. Please might we consider what it is that our deeds say about our hearts. Please might you open our eyes. Lord, if we are walking by the hungry and the thirsty, the stranger and the one needing clothes, are uh, the sick and the imprisoned, Lord. Open our eyes to it. Uh, let us see that in serving them, we serve you. Thank you that you so completely identify with your people. Lord, on that last fearful day, might we be able to approach it, not with fear, but with confident faith. I pray for those who don't know you here today. Our Lord, please help them not to put aside what you've said, but may it stick in their hearts and cause them to look for how they might become different people. I pray for your followers here this morning. Lord, thank you that you've called us brothers and sisters. Lord, please, might we be more transformed. We are not what we want to be. Please, might we be more transformed. And we pray that more often, more naturally, these small, ordinary deeds would just flow out of us. Might we be good trees that bear good fruit. Might we see the changed heart that you have put into us working its way out in our actions. Thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God, that you love the world, that you show us how you love the world in sending your son. Lord, if you just wanted to condemn, you would have condemned us all, but you wanted to save. Might we embrace your salvation today. For Jesus' sake, amen.